Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. I am very aware of the time, but I was not going to do without her getting to share. Uh, y'all, the body needed to hear it. This family needed to be involved in everything that went on. And I told her, you take your time. Don't worry about me. If I have to, I'll just get up and hit the high points and we'll get out of here. Uh, but I wanted that testimony. That is a part of you. Any testimony that happens in any part of the church is your testimony. If you are a part of the church, every church testimony is your testimony. So remember that. That's why we're constantly pulling testimonies from other places and testimonies here and sharing them with you because it's just as much yours. Your family, we're one body. Uh, Speaking of that, uh, for those of you that don't know, we were in revival for three days, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Pastor preached at St. Paul's uh, Baptist Church, and it was just, it was awesome. For those of you that were able to be involved, you know what happened. But the last night of the revival... We had a lady come in with her arm in a sling. Uh, She had had pain in her shoulder for years. She got, she got prayer that night. She had said she'd had surgery, I think, two weeks before that and wasn't able to lift her arm. She couldn't even take her other hand and lift that arm up. That's how bad it was, just excruciating pain. She come in with it in a sling. Uh, at the end of the service, she come up. Everybody got around, prayed for her. She took the sling off, raised her hand, completely pain-free. Uh, it was just amazing. Uh, one, one young man came in on crutches. Uh, due to a back problem, couldn't walk without the assistance of the crutches. He come up and got prayer. He laid the crutches down, walked across the front of the... I even happened to notice him after the service, still walking around, just kind of carrying his crutches in one hand with him. Uh, just, it was just amazing. It was so awesome. Uh, so anyway... There's just so much going on right now. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked for this this morning. Uh, for those of you that have been in on it, this is the third part of family culture. I told my wife, this is probably my favorite series that I've ever been able to teach or preach. It has just been amazing. And it's been the culture, the nature, the character of this house, uh, of just a family culture that God is creating here. That's why our offering was like it is, just people loving on each other, just that family culture that we're after. And the more I study it, the more biblical I find out that that culture is, that uh, one man's show is not biblical. It's not the way God designed it. It's not the way that he set it up. He did set up order and honor and respect, but he did not, He never set up a one-man show. It was never his design. And, and I've just learned so much in this culture, and I'm excited to get into it this morning. Uh, you can just remain seated today as we read. We're going to be going through a lot of scriptures, and, uh, and I will be very conscious of, of the time. So we're going to start in John chapter 17. Uh, We're going to pull from a prayer that Jesus is praying. Uh, John 17, we're going to start in verse 20. I'm just going to pull a few scriptures out of this. This is Jesus. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Yeah, that they may be all one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I gave it to them. Why? Why? so that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So what I want you to understand is that Jesus is in the last moments of his life. He knows that in, in, in just a few, just in so many hours, they're gonna come, he's gonna be betrayed, they're gonna come arrest him, they're gonna crucify him, they're gonna kill him. Uh, he knows all that's right around the corner. 
And he goes into this prayer at the end. He prays a three-part prayer. First, he prays for God, you would glorify me, and he prays for himself. Then he turns and prays for the disciples, and then he prays for all believers. And in the third, last part of this prayer, at this moment of his life, knowing what's coming, Jesus begins to pray a prayer of unity. This is what he chooses to be this final prayer as he's getting ready for his entire ministry to wrap up. He says, the one thing that I want to leave, the one prayer, the importance of this moment is that they may become one. And I love the fact that he even says, God, you did glorify me. Because remember, he starts the prayer with glorify me. He said, God, you gave me a glory. You imparted something totally supernatural that can only come from you. He said, and I turned and gave it to them so that they could be one, so that they could be unified. Not, not, not for all of the ministry things that we think are, that, that we put the most importance on. He turned and said, I gave it to them so they could be one, so that they could operate just like you and I operate. So this was the prayer of Jesus. And I want to show you as this prayer uh, we see this prayer unfold in, fa- in the very first series of family culture or very first message of family culture. Uh, I talked about in Acts how they used uh, with one, they were in one mind, one accord, and they had all things in common. That all things in common meant complete union. They were in one union that was complete and whole. They were one. So in Acts, we begin to see the fruits of Jesus's prayer in John 17. His prayer was that they would be one. And when the church is birthed in Acts, that's one of the first things we begin to notice about the church, that they, they, they are birthed as one. They are unified. They are whole. Uh, and in understanding this concept, I want to jump into some scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is my third approach at family culture, and God has taken me to a different spot in the New Testament every single time and showed me something brand new about this culture and the way it operates. So I want to, I want to read these scriptures, and then we're just going to break them down. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12, says, for, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit you were all baptized in the body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If, there were, if the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But, not, but now God has set the members, each one in them, in the body, just as he pleased. If you write or mark in your Bible, underline that, highlight it, circle it, do something. He placed them in the body as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which, are, which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have one, have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now I want to go back and look at everything that he is dealing with. I really want to look at, uh, in one of those scriptures, the one I told you to underline. I don't remember which one it was now. 18, thank you. Uh, In 18 it says, now God has set each member 
God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. I think this is extremely important in building a family culture that you understand that you didn't just happen to end up in this body. You didn't just happen to show up at this church one day. It wasn't just a, oh, wow, that's a neat church. I'm going to check it out. I've heard so many people say when we ask, why are you here? They begin to say, well, I saw the sign out front. Just thought I'd check it out. That's what you think happened. But really what happened was God said, I placed every member where it pleased me. He said, I was pleased to put you right here where you are. This is where I wanted you to be. This is where I chose for you to be. And if people begin to come into churches with that mindset, it does away with a lot of the things that are created by Satan saying, well, maybe you're not getting fed here. Maybe this ain't your spot. Maybe this isn't your kind of worship. Maybe this isn't your style of preaching. Maybe this isn't, and all those things come into our mind. But if we immediately are already plugged in with the understanding that I didn't come here for the preaching. I didn't come here for the praise team. I didn't come here. I came here because it pleased God to place me here. You have to have that understanding immediately because if not, Satan will give you a good reason to find another church. Or somebody here will give you a good reason to find another church. (laughs) Just be real about it. It pleased him to place you here. And what's awesome is in this scripture, he's talking about God designed and put together the body in a way that it could be the most effective. See, God knew exactly what he was doing when he was designed man. If some of us would have designed us, we would probably be a lot less effective. We probably wouldn't get near as much done. But God knew if I put this part with this part to this part, and then I add this, and then I give them this, and that. he knew they could get the most done this away. It could be the most effective. So then Paul says, guess what? This body's just like the body, physical body. God said, if I put this person here in this place, this body can be the most effective. Just as your human body is the most effective in the way that it's put together, so is this church body the most effective in the way that God has placed it together. Second key thing you must know is I am directly connected to the effectiveness of this body. Come on, I'm going to give you some responsibility today. So I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them you are directly connected to the effectiveness of this body. So step up. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Come on now. So just the way the members of your natural body are together in a way that would be the most effective, he has also put this body called the church in a way that it's the most effective. So in some way, you being in this body is a part of the effectiveness of this body. So what you do, where you plug in, what you get involved in, what you decide to do with your life in this body, will we reflect on the effectiveness that this body has? See, you thought, I just find a church, sit on a pew, and one day we go to heaven. Wrong. What you do is you find a body, and you get connected, and you, you immediately begin to play into the effectiveness of that body in this community. That's what the church was designed to do. We weren't designed to just hold on till glory, just make it to the end. No, that's not the way of God. God doesn't just hold on and hope he makes it to the end. No, God is effective. God brings change and his body is designed to reflect him. 
we, you know, we always use, we are creating his image and his likeness for us physically, but his church is also created in his image and his likeness, and he is very effective, and he doesn't, he doesn't have an, uh, 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 an ineffective part of him. So it pleased God to put you right here because of what you bring to the table. You may be thinking, yeah, but I don't, I don't really have a, a ministry. I don't, I don't preach or sing or teach or I, I don't do those kinds of things. Yeah, but God knows what you do and whatever it is you do, he thought this body needed you to do it here. Man, that's just good. Ryan, I don't know what it is you do, but whatever you do, I want you to do it here, okay? Because whatever it is you do is gonna affect the rest of this body. It's a part of me. Just like my foot has absolutely no idea what my hands do. But my feet need my hands to do it. Does that make sense? Vice versa. We may not know exactly what it is that my brother or my sister does, but we have to understand that God placed them here because of the effectiveness of this body. You didn't just accidentally end up here. You may say, but, but you know, I don't really have a thing. Like, I don't do nothing. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't have that, that platform ministry. I don't have that thing. Let's look at a scripture. Nisha, can you give me 1 Peter 4 and 10? As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the grace of God. So God has placed within everyone a gift. He's given you something, a desire, a passion, something that's fit for this body. And if we're good stewards of what we've been given, then we find a way to minister it to one another. We find a way to pour it into the other person. We understand that when I come to church on Sunday, everything that goes on is not, all the ministry that goes on is not the pastor's responsibility because I've been given a gift too. And if I'm a good steward of that gift, then I'm gonna minister it to someone. Whether it's an encouraging word or edifying a brother or sister or hugging them or praying for them or whatever it may be in that moment, you have a role to play. You have a position to fill. Because God placed you here to fill it. Let me back this up a little more. Ephesians 4 and 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Now notice something. Notice we're knit together by what? By what we supply. You're not just here because God thought it would be a cool idea to put you here. You're here because what you supply to this body connects this body. It makes us fitly joined together. So God said, I know your personality and the way you are and what you have inside you and your ministry and I know the way you think and the way you click and what you supply would fit perfect, boom, right here. And that begins to connect us and join us together. It makes us one body as Jesus prayed. Fitly joined together according to every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. So this scripture tells me that for any work to be effective, every part must be involved. Remember, we started with Paul's scriptures in, in 1 Corinthians where he's talking about your body. And for your body to really be effective, every part of your body has to be involved. For instance, if your heart decides, I don't want to be involved no more, it's not just your heart that's going to stop. 
everything will. If you're, uh, I'm going to tell myself, I felt really old yesterday because I was getting out of the truck and my hip caught and popped. And the rest of the day I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm, how old are you? <laughs> and, and it was almost like, now I don't know if God really does this, but I blamed it on him. I was like, God, you're just trying to prepare me for my message tomorrow. So you just knocked my hip out of place. But I began to realize that when my hip wasn't functioning correctly, my whole body experienced it. I didn't just, it wasn't just my hip doing wrong, my whole body began to, and as a matter of fact, the rest of my body started having to overwork. Oh, come on. Because this part wasn't doing its part. So what happens is we end up with a really wore out church because only five members are working in it. Oh, y'all ain't ready for this. See, the first two family cultures were huggy and lovey, and now this third family culture, in my family, in my family it was, oh, you're in junior high now? Here's a power saw. You can go to work with me this summer. Dad, I'm 13. I can barely pick up a power saw. Oh, you'll be fine. But that's the way the family works. That's the way the family is designed. And see, what happens is, if every part of this family is doing their share, we become effective. We can sit inside these walls and pray for our community to change till we are blue in the face. And you can quote all the right scriptures and you can do the dance and you can sing all the songs. But until the members of the body begin to work together and do their share, this community will be just like it's always been. Because nothing becomes effective until every part does its share. I need you. I need you to do whatever it is you do. Bobby, if all you do is just annoy me, <laughs> I just said you because I know you wouldn't get offended. And it's true. Uh, I need you to do that because apparently whatever it is you bring to the table, I need it. I need that thing. I need that thing to be operating in this church and in this community so that this whole body can become as effective as God designed it to be. Because I don't, I don't want you to decide to pull out from your gift or whatever it may be and then the rest of the body have to walk like this from now on. And this other leg starts getting wore out because it's having to take over the load because this side's not. Every joint supplies something. And this is what's pretty awesome. When every joint, every, every part is working, doing its share, guess what happens? Wait, you mean that's not his responsibility? You mean the growth and the edifying of the church and the effectiveness in the community is not his job? Because see, all my life, I was taught it's the pastor's job. He gets paid for it. Let him do it. Oh, come on. Y'all gonna get quiet on me? That's the pastor's job. Well, if you automatically assume that only the pastor is gonna bring growth and edification, guess what your church is gonna look like? We're trying to do the best we can. Are we? See, we sit around dinner tables and we eat up pastors because churches aren't, aren't, aren't growing and exploding. Guess what? It's not his job to grow and explode the church. It's your job. <laughs> Growth, edification, they come from every part doing its part. 
me and Jermaine talked a little while back and he, uh, we were talking about this, this idea and he was just honest with me. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, if there wouldn't have been a person to connect with me and be willing to invest time into me, I probably wouldn't have made it. I probably would have been pulled out, drawn back to that old place. You know why? Because it's not just one person's job. When someone comes into this church, finds their way into this place, if we come in with the mentality that they are, they, they are directly connected to my effectiveness and I need them in this church, that's why God brought them here, then I immediately begin to invest into that person and say, I need you. I need you to be here. I need, and I begin to connect. And if that was happening all over the church, then you begin to see growth and edification. What's crazy is this isn't just talking about numbers. Of course, I'm just going to be completely real with you. If you want a church to grow in numbers, this has to happen. A pastor cannot grow a church in numbers by himself. It just can't happen. It's not the way it's designed. It's not biblical. But if you want to see it even grow spiritually to the place it is designed to be, then everyone must be investing into everyone and everyone must be sharing with everyone. That's why small groups and connectability is so important in the body because it's what causes growth. Sunday morning is not growth. Sunday morning is here's the revelation and the tools you need to be put in the best position to grow. Now you go out and do your part and watch this thing grow spiritually and numerically. We're knit together by what every joint supplies. God placed you in this body and connected you to the people around you because of what you have to offer. Because of the effectiveness that you bring to this house. Scripture tells us that when people are playing their part and not trying to be like someone else, just doing your part, we see growth. We don't need you to come in and act like pastor. We don't need you to come in and act like Scott, please, please. <laughs> what we need you to do is come in and be you. We need you to come in and be exactly who you are. Shay, I don't need you to change. I don't need you to act like someone else. I need you to act like you because you bring what I need. You give me exactly what I need in this moment to see. I don't think the church really understands the interdependence that God designed the church to have. You're not designed to, to man up and, and lone wolf this thing. He didn't make it that way and he did it on purpose. You need one another and you need the other person to be themselves and not try to be someone else. So contrary to popular belief, the effectiveness and growth of a church is not all on the pastor. As a matter of fact, for you to say that the lack of growth or effectiveness is all the pastor's fault is kind of like all you LSU fans that blame Les Miles every time they lose. Because if I remember right, Les Miles never put a helmet on. And if your players were as good as Alabama's, oh, I don't like neither one of them. I'm from Texas, so I'm safe. <laughs> but listen, I, I'm being totally honest with you guys. See, what's crazy is the effectiveness of that team comes down to everyone knowing and doing their part 
and trusting their teammate to know and do their part. In other words, I'm not killing myself trying to do my part and your part. I'm just going to trust you that you do yours and I'll do mine. And when we both do them together, we become effective and that puts a W in the column. Can the coach hurt, hinder, or help? Of course. <laughs> That's a lot I want to say right there. But at the end of the day, whether it's a W or an L, does it all ride on just what the coach did? Or does it ride on every member playing their part? So if we can understand that in sports, why do we have such trouble understanding that in the body of Christ? If that church failed, it must have been the pastor's fault. The pastor must have said something wrong, did something wrong. He didn't hug enough necks, shake enough hands, shake enough babies, kiss enough babies, do something, do something with the babies. So we immediately go to that when in reality, he's trying to teach us here. No, no, see, you've missed it. You've missed it. You've given him way too much credit. Let's just be honest. It's not all up to him. It's not all up to us. It's up to every member doing their part. Can the pastor help or hinder? Oh, yeah, just like the coach can. But the overall effectiveness doesn't just ride on the shoulders of the pastor. <laughs> In high school, I played, I played basketball. I was just a one sport. That was my thing, mostly because the school was so small. It's all we had. But all I played was basketball. But in playing basketball, even as good as I was, I had to learn to play with a team. I'm just kidding. I wasn't that good. But you had to learn interdependence. Because I don't care if you are LeBron James. Without four other people on the court, you don't win. You may have some really good stats, because let's be honest, can't nobody hang with LeBron James. Let's see if there's any haters out there. But still, as good as he may be, I promise, like I would put everything on it, that if he was by himself on the court, he could not win. So I, he had to learn that even though he's really good, he had to learn that sometimes he's got to pass the ball to Kyrie Irving. And sometimes he's got to get it down low. And sometimes he's got to move the ball around and trust that that person's going to finish it, that that person's going to do what needs to be done with the ball in that moment. Interdependence. See, the problem is, because of the inconsistency of people doing their part in the church, I'm just being real this morning, okay? Sometimes the ones that are doing their part, we start to have a lack of trust in passing the ball to someone else because I don't know if you showed up to play or not today or not. I don't know if you're gonna be Steph Curry or Harrison Barnes. I just need you to show up and make some shots. So what happens is, so what happens is there becomes a lack of trust and I say, I really want to get you involved, but Benny, are you going to turn the ball over? Are you going to make the basket? Have you ever played basketball? That's what I'm talking about. But there becomes this, this, this lack of trust amongst the church and we're scared to relinquish some things to other people because we don't know what's going to happen with it. We, we, we don't know what's going to take place, but we have to learn an interdependence upon one another. 
See, what's crazy is you can try to do it all yourself, not pass the ball, not trust your team. And at the end of the season, you may have some really awesome stats. Like you may be leading and rebounding, shooting, everything, pass, steals. You'll have all the stats, but you won't have a winning record. So you have to begin to ask yourself, what's more important? My stat sheet or the winning record? What would I rather have? People praise me because I'm so good at it or my team be effective and win the ball game? Interdependence. I need you and you need me. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26. And Nisha, could you throw it up in the Amplified, please? Did I say that too fast? Sorry. So that there should be no division or discord or lack of adaptation of the parts of the body to each other, but the members all alike should have a mutual interest in and care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the parts share the suffering. If one member is honored, all the members are honored. Share in the enjoyment of it. I want, you to, sh- I want to show you something. When a body is operating in this place, now what I need you to understand, the scripture, four scriptures before this, Paul takes four scriptures and talks about honoring every part of the body. That every part deserves honor and you must honor every part. And then he goes into what happens when you're honoring every part of the body and every part is being invested to and honored. There's no division or discord or lack of adaptation when we learn this method. When I learn how to honor you and invest into you. No matter what I think about you, no matter how I feel about you, if I understand that God placed you here because it pleased him to do so, and you're directly connected to the effectiveness of this body, then I will honor you in your position. And in doing so, it will do away with all these crazy divisions and discord that find themselves in the body. All this tension and and this and that and tiffs and I'm so sick of hearing churches split down the middle over stupid stuff like carpet color and style of music and all these things when in reality if we were honoring every position and every person he taught us there would be no division or discord. I love this or a lack of adaptation of the parts to each other. The problem is when there's no honor we don't learn how to adapt to the people around us. See Jermaine said, if somebody wouldn't have been there to honor me and to invest into me, I would have had a lot of trouble adapting to the place that I was in. But when we learn to honor and invest, all of a sudden, it just feels like I've known you forever, right? And I've only known you for what, a couple years? But it feels like I've known him forever because we just adapted. We became one as Jesus prayed. Why? Because when Ryan showed up, you know what I decided? I'm going to honor Ryan. I'm going to invest into Ryan. I don't know why I'm picking on you so much today. That's the way the church is designed to operate. We are designed to be in a place that when people come in, I immediately turn on honor and invest and I love them and I pour into them and I connect them. Why? Because I know God placed them here. See, it, it, it doesn't even have anything to do if they deserve it or not. That's the problem is we keep honoring people based on whether how we think they deserve it. He didn't say, honor the, ones, honor the parts of your body that deserve it. No. He said, you honor every part because I put it there for a reason. We must honor and invest in it. And it does away with all this, this schism and this division and these things. I'm, I'm trying to get through this, y'all. 
Paul is telling us here that a family, a body, where we're showing honor to every member and expressing their importance to this family, it begins to create a place free of division and discord. That's the church I want to be a part of. And in this, new members, young Christians, they don't have such a hard time adapting to this culture, adapting to this body. What's crazy is the scripture goes on to let us know that in honoring and investing into each each other, it creates a genuine concern for what the other person is going through. An actual legitimate concern that I honestly care about what's happening in your life right now. A lack of honor and investment in each other's lives is seen in the fact that people can, be, can begin to struggle and pull away from the church and we aren't bothered by it. If you've invested your life into that person, it will create a concern in you that will lead you to check on them, see what's going on, which could ultimately lead to them getting plugged back in. That's the way this thing works. Instead of sitting back saying, well, why ain't they here? What happened to them? Where did they go? I don't know. Did we honor them? Did we invest into them? Did we pour into them? Were we connected to them? But again, this is one of those categories that have for so long fallen under the pastor's job. Oh, they weren't here this Sunday. I better call the pastor and see where they're at, see if he's checked on them. See if he went and seen what's going on in their life. What if we were so connected to them? that we were compelled to reach out in these situations in a culture of honor and invest into them? What if that's what it was like? Verse 26 says, says, you hurt when they hurt. When's the last time you felt the pain of the brother or sister that goes to church with you? As a matter of fact, do you even know what dilemma they may be currently going through right now? I knew this part was going to get like this. But if we stopped and thought about it, do we honestly know what the people around us are going through? Have we honored and invested into them in such a way that I feel your pain? I feel what you're going through. Because just like I talked about yesterday, when when the thing happened with my hip, my entire body was affected and felt it. But why is it in the body of Christ that somebody can be hurting or pulling away or whatever it may be, and we have no clue? We just look up one day and be like, man, I didn't realize they were gone. Family culture. We as a family unit are supposed to play a major role in the healing A family culture that is honoring, investing into one another can bring healing to a lot of situations that we think were too far gone if we were there to invest. As a matter of fact, James knew this. And James said in 5 and 16, confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. In a family culture, I trust you enough to express my dysfunction or my situation, or my problem to you. And in loving you enough and knowing that you love me enough and I confess this, it can be prayed for, dealt with, and healed instead of causing a huge separation. For sake of time, I want to close with this. 
What's pretty amazing to me is that in James 5 and 16, here's a scripture where he's talking about confessing your faults to one another, praying for one another, this community uh, family culture that I'm talking about, and it healing that brother or sister, it correcting that situation, it, 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 it mending whatever that was. In this scripture is where to that he connects the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The church needs to come to a place where we're mature enough that people can begin to express and reveal mess ups, dysfunctions, things in their life. And instead of it creating a judgmental spirit within me, it brings me into a place of fervent, effective prayer for that person. It doesn't bring me to, I need to text so-and-so or I need to call and start a prayer chain. It creates something in me. And when I hear this coming from them, I don't immediately begin to think differently about them because, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. No, he said, immediately there becomes an effective, fervent prayer that heals things, changes things. That's what it means to be in a family. In a family, you can express your dysfunction and instead of being judged for that dysfunction, you'll find people that take themselves to a place of fervent, effective prayer for that situation. And I have to believe that if that was the case, there would be a lot less people falling away, pulling away, and being drawn away if they were in a family culture where I could come to you and say, Man, this is going on in my life. Man, I blew it this week. I messed up. And know that that person will be mature enough and love you enough to find themselves in fervent prayer. Not a bunch of this, God bless them before we fall asleep at night. A fervent place of, they're so connected to me. I need them to make it. I need them to survive. The church, the body, needs them to make it. And lastly, in the, in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians, the end of it, he says, you hurt when they hurt, but you learn to rejoice when something good is in their life. We've got to quit being so suspicious about people. Oh, why'd they get that? Why'd God do that for them? Why'd they get all that money? Come on, this is just the way it really is. Instead, being able to say, you know what? That's amazing. Because if you got blessed, I got blessed. If good happened to you, good happened to me. Family. You know what? And I'm even just going to throw it out there. Churches need to learn this. Churches need to learn how to celebrate when another church has an explosion in growth or a revival. People getting saved, things happening in other churches instead of being so suspicious of, oh, what are they doing now? What they do to trick them people? And, and I guess you got to laugh to keep from crying, but it's the truth. What if we could stand back and celebrate other churches in our community? when good things happen. That's the body of Christ. That's what it was intended to look like. I have so much more here. <laughs> Maybe we'll do part four, I don't know. 
But I want to do something totally different this morning. Honey, if you bring down the house lights, please. I love y'all so much, so don't hate me after this, okay? I'm family, you can't hate me. If you hate me, you hate yourself. That's just not healthy. Listen, I want to give some people some opportunity this morning to invest into one another. Some of the most effective altar calls I've seen have been when the minister wasn't the one praying for everybody. But if this is the culture that we're truly after, we're after a biblical family culture. If this is the design that God laid out in scripture for the church to look like, then it has to start with us. It has to start right here with us stepping out. One thing we've learned about community and family culture is it doesn't just automatically happen. You're not just going to wake up one day and be like, oh my God, the culture here is amazing. Culture comes from cultivate. It's something that has to be worked. It has to be learned. It has to happen. You have to make it happen. I love, I absolutely love the culture that's in the young adults here in this church. You that are in on the small groups, you know what I'm talking about. There's just a culture, but it didn't come easy. It come through long nights of spending time together and sitting through the most awkward conversations with naked Nathan Plunkett. <laughs> I'm just kidding, brother. But it just takes those times of, I'm going to invest in this. I'm not going to give up on this. I'm going to do this. I want to see family. I want to see culture, that culture created. So we have to make the move. We have to invest in it. So the altar call this morning is going to be totally different. The altar call this morning is you're going to find somebody in this room. I don't care if it's the person you came with, the person sitting next to you, somebody else, whoever it is. And you're just going to invest into that person. Ask them. It doesn't have to be some super spiritual over-the-top thing. Just say, hey, what's going on? Can I pray with you? You know why? Because that never happens in the church. Never. We never see people just randomly praying for people all over the place when in reality, that's the way the church was designed. So this morning, we get to actually act like the church that Jesus wanted, not the church that America has created. So this morning, we're going to take some time. They're going to play and sing. And I want you to find somebody in this room. I don't care who it is. And you take time. Ask them, what can I pray with you about? What's going on in your life? And then vice versa. When that's done, ask the person that asked you. And invest into one another. So right now, everybody stand. Go find somebody, pray with them, invest into them. Let them know how much God loves them. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.